Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. This episode is with Adam Pascal, who originated the role of Roger in Rent in his Broadway debut back in 1996. And I cannot believe this. I didn't know this, but this was not only his Broadway debut. It was his first theater show, which was also his first audition. His first audition, which he got because he happened to be friends with Adina Menzel, who he grew up living nearby in Long Island, called him up and said, hey, I'm working on the show. They can't find this one role. You should come check it out. He goes in front of Bernie Telsey. The rest is history. It's incredible. And because of that, you know, had some misconceptions about how easy it is to get on the Broadway stage. And, of course, the pressure of everything le- having to lead to a, a Tony nomination or a to- some sort of award win. And he gives some great advice, both in the beginning of the episode and the end, about just leaving your ego at the door and how he went into some auditions after, of course, Rent just put him on the map. He was going into Hollywood for all these amazing auditions. He mentioned George Lucas that he auditioned for and just blew these auditions because he took his ego with him and didn't leave it at the door. Didn't understand you have to go and humble every single time. So wonderful, wonderful advice. From my Patreon account, I also got a question that you'll hear towards the end of the episode, but he talks about if he could talk to Jonathan Larson now, how much he really, really wants to just show Jonathan all the change that he has affected in this world and the influence that has happened, not only in the Broadway community, but Hollywood and beyond. Like, everything just sounds like rent these days. So, as always, before we get into it, please visit me online at theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Please leave a rating and review. They help. They help me get noticed. They help spread the podcast, spread the word. Visit me on the web at thetheaterpodcast.com or bpn.fm slash ttp. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with Adam Pascal. My guest today made his Broadway debut in 1996 with his Tony-nominated performance as Roger in Rent. In addition to releasing two collaborative rock albums of his own, he's gone on to other shows on Broadway, such as Cabaret, Aida, Memphis, Something Rotten, and Disaster. He originated the role of Roger again in the 2009 tour and the 2005 movie. He was most recently seen on the Broadway stage not once, but twice in limited engagements of Pretty Woman and will soon be seen virtually next via the Times Square Alliance Broadway Buskers series. Adam Pascal, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Thank you, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, so you, you've had quite the journey, and I mean, we're going we're gonna to get there to your beginnings, and I think, if I remember, you grew up in the Bronx, right? Uh, I was born in the Bronx, and when I was about 10 years old, I moved to Long Island. So I, uh, I'm a Bronx, Long Island, Manhattanite. <laughs> so you, how, how far away from the city were you in Long Island? Like, did you come back to the city a lot to see shows? Well, my, my parents were divorced and my father lived in Manhattan. So um, I was in the city all the time. Um, my dad lived on 35th Street and 3rd Avenue. Um, and so, um, so I, yeah, I mean, I lived out in, in Syosset. So, you know, I was a 45-minute train ride. 
So yes, I, I was in the city. I mean, you know, a lot, almost every weekend, <laughs> you know, certainly once I became a teenager. Right. Right. So the, the thing that's interesting to me and I, 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 I always, I'm very curious to hear your story about what attracted you to musical theater and Broadway specifically, because, you know, I interviewed Tony Vincent earlier, uh, like a month or two back on the podcast. And like, you know, you and Tony and these others have these rock voices that are there that are non-traditional in terms of like, you know, your park and bark sort of belting right. and singing. And it's really interesting to me how, how, well, I guess before I even make any assumptions, like, what was it that attracted you to to musical theater? And were you trying to get into the traditional musical theater scene before Rent came along? Because Rent was completely different. Yes, uh, I was not. And I had never had any aspirations of doing musical theater or acting of any kind. Um, I grew up playing in rock bands. And um, that was my basically my sole focus my whole life growing up was being in a band. You know, I wanted to be John Bon Jovi. Um, and uh, so... Uh, in 1995, I had broken up with a band that I had been with all through high school and college. And coincidentally, right around that time, um, Idina Menzel, who I grew up with, who grew up okay. down the street from me, yeah, she called me up and said, I'm doing this off-Broadway musical called Rent. And uh, they are having trouble casting one of the roles. And she told me about the role. And she said, I thought of you and I recommended you to the casting director. Bernie uh, yeah, do you want to go in an audition? And it just seemed like, you know, like, again, I was, I was in a way at a crossroads because I had left this band that I had been playing with for so, so many years and was, I was intrigued by the idea of going and auditioning for something and seeing just what that experience in and of itself was like. Um, and the audition was just to go in with my guitar and play a song. And so that was certainly something I was well-versed at doing. So I said, yeah, okay, sure. Now, I, you know, I, um, I wasn't an avid fan of musicals growing up, but I was an avid fan of musical movies. Um, Hair and Rocky Horror and Grease and Tommy and all of those movies, I, I just, um, I, I devoured those movies. I couldn't get enough of them. And, and I would, they were a huge, huge influence on me. So um, I, I certainly had... Uh, a reference point for which to uh, have experienced a rock musical. You know, I wasn't completely naive. Um, and interestingly enough, and I, I, I usually don't mention this, I don't know why, but it's actually kind of interesting, is that when I was seven years old, still living in the Bronx, for one reason or another, I don't know why, my parents sent me for a two-week visit to Stage Door Manor, which is like the biggest <laughs> musical theater camp in the country. So I actually, that's, that was my prior musical theater experience was going to stage Domana for two weeks when I was seven. Um, so, um, anyway, that was, that, you know, that, that was my prior experience. So it wasn't until I got cast in rent, did musical theater become a part of my life? You know, that's ridiculous. So, you just happened to grow up next to Adina Menzel, which happens to be one of the biggest names on in theater and now movies yep. <laughs> today anyway, who called you up because you were friends. And then you go in and get, get not only get this role, but get Tony nominated for this role, which is your very first musical theater audition. 
Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't recommend that route, I have to be honest with you, because if you want to talk about mental health, which you mentioned, we can, we, we can get into that whole wall of wax later. <laughs> well, that's that's actually what I what I well sort of wanted to ask because I feel like this puts you in a very precarious uh, a position where maybe the wrong person might get the wrong idea about how easy I put in air quotes it is to just show up on Broadway and start getting cast, right? That's true, and and I did suffer some of that, absolutely. Um, you know, I when you become the toast of the town and you know, everyone's telling you how amazing you are and you get a Tony nomination and you've never done anything before. I had no frame of reference. Um, and, and, and had in a way been like dreaming about this type of situation my whole life, wanting to be a rock star. You know what I mean? So in a way I, I achieved some version of it. Um, and I heard something really interesting the other day that Rob Lowe said on a podcast. He said that you, if you become famous at a, at a young age, you get, you, you get emotionally um, and developmentally locked into the, that age that you, at the age at which you became famous. Interesting. And, yeah, and I, and there is, I really think that there's an element of truth to that. I mean, quite frankly, I think I got locked in at a younger age and I'm just a, a perpetual teenager. But I do think that I, I, you know, growing up and becoming a responsible adult, having had that experience, has been a challenge. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. Um, and also um, navigating the reality of what has now been a 25-year career in, in entertainment and, you know, um, has been difficult. When you are set up from that position, there's only one way to go. You know what I mean? And so you have to go down and then work your way back up to some some level of middledom. You know what I mean? Where like you can just exist in a in a nice sort of like working actor place. Right. You know? um, and not expect everything to be a huge monstrous hit with Tony nominations and blah, 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 blah. Like it, you know, it it took a while uh, to accept that reality. I didn't want to accept it. You know what I mean? I, I didn't want it to be, I didn't want things to be that way. Right. Oh, I, yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, I've talked with other people too that they, they have very little frame of reference. So they, they're the hot, they're the hot shit in their local college or the local high school, whatever it is. And they come here and then just can't get cast or they get the one thing out of college and then nothing for a decade and they, and they start to implode. And uh, yeah, I, I, I was focusing on on your on the Tony nomination and the individual recognition, but yeah, you mentioned something too that the I mean the show itself, Rent is still one of the biggest iconic shows that I mean it's changed it changed the face of Broadway. Yeah, and and you know here we are twenty something years later, it, and how many minutes into this interview and like we're still talking about it, right? Like you've got to be tired of talking about this in some form. Um, you know. When I was younger and more naive, I think, I would get tired of talking about it. But I, I've, I think I've grown into a place where like, I realize how fortunate I am to have that as part of my, my story. You know? And um, 
sure, I can try and force it down people's throats that like, hey, I've done eight other musicals and I've done this and I've done that and blah, blah, blah. Who cares? So what? You know what I mean? Who cares? Like, you know, I'm glad there's one thing people are interested in. You know what I mean? I'm lucky to have one. Um, so, uh, you know, I've gotten to the place where, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to work. I'm lucky to work. Uh, and, you know, I, I try you know, rent, like I alluded to sort of, uh, did, did wonders on my ego. And I have spent years trying to scale that back. I've spent years trying to chip away at what could be the most destructive aspect of somebody's personality is ego and allowing ego to make decisions, any decisions in your life, um, especially career decisions. And, and, and it, I made some bad decisions because of my ego and I still am reaping the repercussions from those decisions today. You know? Wow. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sick of talking about rent because I realize how fortunate I am to have it as again, as part of my story. Yeah. I, I, I just think it's, it's very interesting when you've got these bands that, they go on reunion tours after they've been together for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And it's the, the same songs that people want to hear over and over and over again. And, you know, I just imagine someone coming up to the street, you're like, one song, glory. Oh my God, I'm Pascal, right? Well, it's funny you should say that because, you know, I, I, they have these cameos, you know, cameos are, right? Yeah. right? The, yeah. yeah. So I'm on cameo every day. I get a ton of them, thank goodness. And so I'm singing... Seasons of Love and One Song Glory numerous times every <laughs> single day. So, you know, it, 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 it's not only has it not slowed down, it has, it, it has amplified like tenfold. So, yeah. You should write, you should write memoirs. You call it one man, one man, no glory or something. Yeah, like yeah, seriously. So, so yeah, I, I'm well versed in, in those songs, to say well, the least. So had had you gone to to see? I mean, you said you were in Manhattan a lot when you were a kid, though. Did yeah. you um, did you see Broadway shows? I mean, you obviously knew about Broadway, but at that of time, course. I saw yeah. a few. Yeah. I saw Les Mis when I was a teenager. Um, I saw uh, I saw Annie when I, my parents took me to see Annie when I was a kid. You know, um, but for the most part, that's that's really it. That's all I saw. So know? yeah, that's traditional your traditional musical theater. So then you get a call for a rock musical. Yeah, right. And I, and I heard the story from behind the scenes too um, with Bernie Telsey. He told he told me that like that put him Telsey and Co. That put him on the map. Yeah, um, it put it put a ton of people on the map. Absolutely, because right. nobody wanted nobody knew how to cast it. Nobody knew where rock voices existed and trying to find this sort of thing. And uh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, I think that um, my voice really lends itself to musical theater in the sense that the guy, you know, I am, I, 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 I was originally a rock singer, but, but the kind of rock singer that I was, was a, was a very um, sort of like, you know, tenory power, you know, power tenor rock singer. You know what I mean? A la Steve Perry and, and, and Freddie Mercury and, and all these heavy metal singers that I loved, you know, Iron Maiden and all these guys, you know, like I, so I sang already like with a lot of vibrato and I sang with a lot of drama and, and power and you know what I mean? So like it, I, I think that that's why it worked so well 
You know what I mean? It, it's not like it was like Ozzy Osbourne sounding voice or like, you know, like, I mean, it was like, it was, I think it was just the perfect combination of, of, of the two genres, you know? Um, and I, again, I think that that's why it, it works so well. And I think that that's why I, I was received so well because, um, the, the, there, there certainly have been rock-sounding singers on Broadway before me. I mean, I'm certainly by no means the only one, you know. Um, uh, you know, Murray Head and, and, and uh, you know, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Jesus Christ Superstar. And, you know, like all, all these voices. Um, um, Ted Neely, I'm sorry. I drew a blank there for a second. Um, and, you know, and even to a certain extent, like, Cole Wilkinson, you know what I mean? Like these yeah, guys, they yeah. had a little, they had a little grit. They had a little edge to them. You know what I mean? Like they, it wasn't just like, you know, pure operatic tones. Like there were already people who had come before me that, that had this stuff, you know? Um, but I think it was just sort of like, you know, the show that I was in and the fact that the show, had I come along and been in a different show that didn't become as popular I don't think people would have taken as much notice of my voice. You know what I mean? I think it, part of it had to do with the fact that the show became huge. You know? Right. Well, I, I mean, making it on Broadway is one third luck, one third or one third talent, one third. Yeah. One third luck. And I forget what the other third is, but um, I think it's, I think it's one third talent and the rest is luck. I, yeah. I, I think it's two thirds <laughs> luck. Yeah. Yeah. So you were the right, the right show at the right time next to the right neighbor. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. So then your career gets launched and all of a sudden, you know, thrust into the spotlight. And, you know, this was before, before social media, before, I mean, I guess it was in 90, 97, right? So the, the yeah, actually it was, it was 96. We opened 96, in 96. Yeah, 96, 97. So the internet was just like becoming a thing, you right. know, and, and, it was, and, and it was all, it was dial up. You know what I mean? There was no yeah. high speed. It was, everything was still dial up. You know, there were, uh, there, there weren't cell phones either. I remember Anthony Rapp, was the first person I ever knew to get a cell phone, and he showed up at, at work one day like with, this, like, with this brick, this yeah. huge brick. And, I was, and it, of course, it had no service, and like it was like, who are you going to call with that thing? And the popularity of this show, this the the cast album just goes insane, changes the game, and now everyone's trying to trying to like emulate these voices, myself included. I was in, you know, I'm I'll be forty soon, so like I was in uh, late high school at this time, going into college, and. I was like, I'm a, you know, I'm a baritone at best. Do not have any, any ability to sing up there like a Bon Jovi or like a Steve Perry or, or, you know, I remember one song, Glory, I was given as an audition song once. And I was like, I'm in, that's insane. I, I cannot <laughs> do this. So when, were you finding yourself um, sort of being emulated in a way that you used to emulate, emulate others at this point? Like with the, with the, the spread of the cast album, I guess, taking over the time instead of social media, like. Um, well, I, I don't know about emulated per se, um, but I think that the success of Rent and my personal success and the type of, and the success of somebody who sounds like me definitely like opened the floodgates, you know what I mean? For all sorts of, you know, different types of singers who, who weren't your traditional Broadway singers to, to, to now come in and, and get work. You know what I mean? Tony included, you know, who's a friend of mine, but I think he would probably be the first to admit that that's, you know, that's the case, you know? Um, and, and not to say that like, it's all, I'm responsible for it, but I do think that, 
that, um, you know, I, I, I think what I did was I, I demonstrated to the community that um, there were a lot of other types of great singers out there and, and that you could look in other places and find talent where you didn't prior, where you didn't look before. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so I, I think I, I definitely had a hand in that. I, and, and, you know, I think the only time people may or may not have tried to emulate me is if they were playing Roger, you know what I mean? Is if they were trying to play that part, which I understand, you know, and I've certainly worked with plenty of actors over the years, you know, in master classes and all sorts of stuff. And I, and I, I, I can't, you know, sort of emphasize enough how not to do that. <laughs> you know? and, and, and that, you know, I sound the way I sound and I, you know, and, and, and nobody wants you to sound like me. You know what I mean? They want you to sound like you, you know, it's not interesting to hear people try and emulate what's on the cast album. It's interesting to hear people make it their own. You know what I mean? And I say that having quite frankly spent the majority of my career taking over already existing roles, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so, so I don't, I've never tried to sound like, a cast album or an actor that has gone before me, you know, I wouldn't even know how to do that, you know? Um, and so I try to, uh, I, I try to impart that to, to younger actors um, that, 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 that nobody wants you to do that. You shouldn't do that. And it's your originality that makes you unique and special. And that's what you should embrace. Right. Well, you, you touched on this a second ago that um, like you originated Roger and then you originated uh, in Disaster, I think was. No, it was Aida. Was, Rod- oh, no, that's right. Of course. Yeah. I, forgot. I always forget yeah. about Disaster. Yeah. yeah so, it was, so it was Rod Amaze in Aida and then it was Chad in Disaster. Right. So the so you have a, you have other credits, but okay, so Rail was 96, Cabaret was 2003. So between 96 and 03, was this like the beginning, you know, you're at the top and then all of a sudden you can't find work or were you doing regional? No, 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 no. Aida was in between those two. So I, so it was Rent and then it was oh. Aida and then I, and, and after Aida came Cabaret. Right. So that was both. Okay. Okay. So I'm looking yeah. at the, at the, at the IBDB data here. Yeah. Yeah. So no, so there's a lot of things in there. So it was, and after, after Cabaret, um, I did a, a, a bunch of other like smaller things and then, and then 2000, so Cabaret was actually 2004. The Rent movie was 2005. Um, then the Rent tour was 2009. Um, and then uh, there was um, Memphis and Chicago mm-hmm. and Disaster and something. something you know what I say? So, yeah, yep. so things like, you know, so like a lot of, you know, things happened later on. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I love taking over already existing roles. Like I, I prefer to do that than, than to create new, new characters. Is that a pressure thing? It's a, it's yes. Yes. In a way, I don't like the feeling of sitting around waiting to see if I get a Tony nomination, what people, <laughs> if I, to all the, the reviews, what people thought they, they hate me. They like me. This, this, this. I don't, I, I hate that because I remember it for Aida. I, and I remember sitting around like, you know, like, am I going to get a tone? Uh, and, and, uh, and like the, the panicked feeling. And then I didn't get one and the heartbreak and feeling, I just, I hate all that. And I don't want to, and like, I just don't want that in my life. You know, like I just, like I said, like, I just want to work. I just want to know that like, I've got a year contract and I'm going to do this job for a year and it's going to be great. And you know what I mean? I just, there's so much less pressure, you know? Um, and yeah, I just, I don't, I don't really 
like the pressure of creating new characters. I'd rather somebody else do it. Yeah, that, I can I can see that uh, the the whole the whole Tony Award kind of um, well the award season in general is all very <sighs> it's very political to begin with because there's kind of stuff that you know the general public doesn't see about lobbying for people and selling tickets and whatnot. But um, let me just interject and say that. I'm not saying that I even deserve the nomination for Aida. I mean, I, I mean that's certainly debatable, you know. So I'm not, it's like I'm not coming from a place that like I should have gotten one and I didn't. I, that's not what I mean to say. I, my, what I mean to say is I wanted one, you know. Like so. Um, anyway, I just wanted to put that out. Yeah, yeah. The, the I think it was Karen Oliva who told me that I asked her, I said, did your, after the Tony award, um, did your life get easier? And she was like, no, you know, the pressure, the pressure to maintain the pressure to continue and deliver at that level is it just, it's like astronomically compounding on your, on your, on your mental state. Right. Yes. Because every single show you're like, is this the one? Well, is right. this? Exactly. But it, so, so going through that, I mean, it, <laughs> I, I wanted to just put out there just like, why do you keep doing it? But I know why people continue to do it because they need, they need the arts and they need to perform like theater. People are people who I, need people. Of course. I mean, I love to do it. It's, and I, and look, I know I'm good at it. You know, I mean, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't be here 25 years after rent if I wasn't good at it. So I know I'm good at it. I do love it. Um, and I just, you know, every job has its pressures. And, and you have to deal with the pressures of it in, in whatever form they exist, in whatever form they come in. And that's and some people thrive and strive for that Tony thing. And, and, and then there are people like me that kind of shy away from it. Um, but, but, but getting on that stage and doing the work is why I do it. You know, like there's just, there's no experience like it. There's not, you know. Um, and and w from the first time I stepped out on stage and rent at the New York Theater Workshop, th this this feeling of of uh, of, of it's interesting enough of of comfort of like being home in a way that playing in a rock band never felt. You know what I mean? But being in a show felt like home, and and it and it and it still does to this day in any show that I do. It feels like home. It feels like that's where I belong. I, I actually want to see if you don't mind elaborating on that a little bit because I sure. have never, I have never been in a band. I've only been on stage, and so to me, in my mind, it seems very much all right. So you're going on stage and you're performing, and especially if you're a lead, you're carrying the show or you're carrying the performance. But like a in a rock concert, you've got your set, you know your songs. It's scripted to a point what's the difference part of the difference is my personal experience in that my band sucked <laughs> and we never had any fans and so i spent you know i spent the good part of you know let's see i mean from the time i was 12 to the time i was 25 you know playing you know to to empty clubs for years to, em to empty bars and empty clubs and, and, and getting no response and no, you know, like, um, and, and so, so, so that's painful. And, and that, 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 you know, that sort of works, works on your psyche in a negative way. Um, also there, the, the, and what always panicked me was not the performing of the music, but the moments in between the music. 
How do you keep an, an audience engaged in between songs? You know what I mean? You know, like, you know, I always looked to a guy like Bono, who's like the king of something like that. You know what I mean? Who could like, you know, keep an audience like, you know, sort of like completely um, wrapped uh, around his finger, just t- talking to them. You know, like I, I didn't have that. I couldn't do that. And I was terrified of it. And I always felt very out of place. I felt, I felt out of place. I felt, I felt in many ways like a poser. Like I didn't belong there. Like I, like I, I just, there, again, there was, there was always something that felt a little bit off about being the singer in a rock band. It, it just, again, I felt like I just, re- even though I could do it musically, I, I just put my personality, I didn't feel like I belonged there. And, and when I got on stage in a musical, I felt like I belonged there. You know, and for whatever reason, because it wasn't me, because I was playing a character, mm-hmm. because I was wearing a costume, because I was on stage with other characters, because we were telling a story, because I didn't have to think about the next thing I was going to say because it was already scripted. You know what I mean? Like all, I, all of these things, you know, like, um, and, 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 and there was an element of like, a safety of having all of this that I never felt uh, playing in bands. It felt very exposed and unsafe to me. That's, that's interesting. I wonder. I wonder if it's with the people involved as well. I don't. You know. I don't know your other bandmates. I don't know the band. I, to to me, you know, your theater. Your theater is your is your family. Your, your cast is your family for the time you're in your show, that show. And even if you're in, you know, like Pretty Woman, you come in for two different weeks. Right. You become, you become part of this larger picture. That's that, true. That is an entity in and of itself, which I guess now that you've talked about, you know, the band, I can see how it's actually vastly different because especially if you don't like your, anybody in the band, well, that, you know, yeah, I, you know, I, I didn't have the confidence because I knew that we just, you know, there were a couple of guys in the band that just, and I loved the guys personally, but that just weren't that good musically. And so I felt that like, I knew we just weren't that good, you know, and I just never had the courage to leave the band earlier when I was younger and started a band with different guys because these guys had then become my best friends. And so, so I just, I didn't have the confidence in the band that like it's us against the world and we're going to go out there and kick ass and you know like it was Mm -hmm. like i i knew that just like there there was like you know there was a major weak points you know um it's i would imagine and i've never been in a flop but i would imagine it's like if you're in a in a a show on broadway that you know people hate and you know it's going to close any day and you know what I mean? Um, it, maybe it feels like that to a certain extent, you know, like that you just, you know, it's not good, <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, Disaster didn't do well financially, but it was a great show and the audiences loved it. You know what I mean? Like, and I loved it and I loved being there every night. Um, I've never experienced being in a show that like, I hate this. I, the audience hates this. I hate it. I don't want to be here. Like, you know, like, and I hope I never have that experience, but like, it, maybe it's something akin to that. Huh. Yeah, that's, that is total, that to, it's totally clear for me now. I completely get that. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the timeline of things. So you have, you have two 
solo rock albums. Model I Prisoner. Actually have, I actually have three. Well, you have two solo and one was collaborative, according That's to the true. bio. Yeah, that I was, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. With with uh, pianist Larry Edoff. Yeah, correct. Were you starting to write your own albums? Um, obviously, while you were in shows too, right? Was the idea to try to branch off and go back to to the rock to the the solo well, performance? Yeah. This is this is this is actually an important an important point to get to, which is so when the success of Rent happened. I was still completely 100% focused on playing in a rock band. You know what I mean? I, fu- I figured like, okay, now I'm going to get a record deal. Now I'm going to get with some real guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start writing some great songs with some great guys and get a record deal. Um, so whereas, you know, all of the other people in the show that, you know, got some heat under them and used the show as their springboard, as one does, uh, they were all actors. And so they all went off to Hollywood and, you know, and I was like, fuck that. I don't want to be an actor. I never did. I want to, I want to, you know, I want a, a record deal. But that didn't happen. It just wasn't, still wasn't happening. But I was getting all of this attention from Hollywood. You know, I was getting massive, massive interest from Hollywood. But I hated that. I didn't want it. I, I rejected it. I rebelled against it. And, and, it, and it, it made me mental. It made me completely mental because... Because now I had an agent and now I had, I, I had an obligation. I couldn't say, no, I'm not going in to, to, for George Lucas to audition for Darth Vader. I, I, I couldn't say no to that. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I was getting auditions like that. You know what I mean? I was getting like, you know, A-list starring role uh, auditions during that time. And, but, but I was so arrogant that like, I was like, first of all, I was like, why do I even have to audition? Like, you know, like, what, just give me the fucking part. You know what I mean? I have a Tony nomination. Give me the part. Um, but then it was like, no, they just want you to come in. So I would go in. And remember, I had no acting experience other than Rent. I certainly had no audition experience other than Rent. So I would go in on these auditions and I would suck. I would tank every one of them because I didn't know how to audition. I was also angry about being there. Um, and I was arrogant. And so the combination of all that stuff, I, I, I blew all of these auditions. And, you know, um, again, we talked about this earlier, these ego driven decisions in hindsight, I wish that I, I wish that I had the wherewithal and and, and understood the opportunities that were being given to me and, Mm -hmm. and that I understood to take advantage of them in the, in the, in the best way I could, as opposed to going about it the way that I did. Um, which was clearly unsuccessful. <laughs> um, and so, uh, but, but yeah, so, so, um, but I was always writing songs. Um, and so, uh, you know, so I, I wasn't getting a record deal. No, it didn't happen. But along comes uh, Kurt Deutsch, who owns Ghostlight Records, which at that point was Sugar Boom Records. And he was, and I was in Aida with Sherry, his then wife. Um, and he was starting a record label. And the record label was, now he, now he does exclusively, for the most part, cast albums. But at that point, he was starting it because he wanted to give um, Broadway performers an opportunity to make their own records of their mm-hmm. own music because he wanted to do it for Sherry, his wife, as well. So he offered me a record deal. And that's how my first record came about. And my second. About, you know. So how successful were they at that point? Not nearly as successful <laughs> as I had hoped. You know, the, the, my first record... It just was. It, I got to be honest. It wasn't the record I wanted to make. It 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 was. 
you know, I had been working with a couple of guys writing songs and they had taken a certain form. And when I got this deal with Kurt, he brought in a producer and a couple of producers and they really took, took it over and they remolded it into something that they saw it as. And it really wasn't the record that I wanted to make. And it was, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it just wasn't. My second record I produced and I had much more control over it. And my second record was, was really, that was the record I wanted to make. Like that's what I had hoped my first record would sound, would have sounded, you know? Mm. Um, but, uh, but you know, it, it, it's I, you know some people like it. I, you know, I like some of the stuff on it. Um, it. It was just a little. It was a little too uh, adult contemporary sounding for what I was trying to do. I was still trying to make like a rock record again, more like my second record. Um, and it was. It just wasn't that. You know, it, it was something a lot lighter. You know, it was like a Dan Fogelberg record. You're probably <laughs> you're probably too young to know who that is, but it was. <laughs> but uh you know anyway um but i'm 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 proud of all the stuff that i've done and then the, and then the record that i did with larry uh was was amazing it was an amazing experience he's an incredible songwriter and we you know we had some incredible musicians on that record and it just and the production's great and it's just you know um so making records can be fun you know i do it now in my bedroom you know mm-hmm. on my laptop you know which is great <laughs> well now actually that's a very good segue because now uh, you've got hopefully some new music that we're going to be hearing with the Broadway Buskers series coming up. Yeah. Well, it's already, the Broadway Buskers is already in, in progress. You're singing in September. Uh, correct. Yeah. So what, what will we be hearing through that? You know, I got to be honest with you. I mean, I haven't done a lot of writing in quite a long time. So the stuff that I'm going to be playing is stuff from probably the majority is probably going to be stuff from my second record. Um, because a lot of people have never heard, most people have never heard that. So it's new to them. You know what I mean? I can guarantee you anyone who's going to listen to me on this, on, on Broadway buskers has not heard that record. So it's, it's all going to be new. <laughs> and also they certainly haven't heard it in an acoustic form in the way that I'm going to play it. So I'm just going to play songs from that record. Do you still play every day? I still, you, well, like I said, I do yeah. my cameos every day. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess, play, yeah, with that. I play three songs every day. Um, yeah. Uh, but yes, I still play every day. Um, I do. I've been recording um, uh, like re- re- cover versions of stuff, like reimagined things. Actually, people can check out on SoundCloud. I have um, uh, Heaven on Their Minds, a version of Heaven on Their Minds that I did during this COVID lockdown uh, that's up on SoundCloud. I'm about to mix uh, a version of Maybe This Time from Cabaret that I'm just about finished with. Uh, that's going to be the next one that I put up on on, on SoundCloud. So that's 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 what's been occupying me creatively is is recording and producing these these reimagined versions of these songs that people know that's a lot of fun i well it's interesting though because originally at the very beginning of the interview you're like i don't i don't emulate anybody else you make it your own and so you're taking these great songs and you're actually literally doing that right now reimagining them in an in the quarantined capabilities that you have making yes. them really your own yeah, yeah, absolutely, very much. And and look, you know, I mean, not to sort of toot my own horn, but people need to go listen to it and listen to, but just listen to the quality of the production that I did on a, a you know, with Logic, which cost two hundred dollars, and then a Mac, you know, Air, MacBook Air, 
You know what I mean? <laughs> if you've got some good and, you know, and some, I've got some decent instruments and stuff, but like, it's amazing what you can accomplish, mm-hmm. you know, on your own, if you are capable enough. You know, the days of these big recording studios that I spent my life going to, you know, you pay hundreds of, hundreds of dollars by the hour and, you, you know, like rooms of equipment and giant rooms and isolation booths and $10,000 microphones and all this bullshit. It's like, you don't need it. You know what I mean? You just, you don't need all that stuff. Right. You just need the ability to make, to, to record it and, and the ability to play it. You know, you don't, I don't need a $10,000 mic to make my voice sound good. You know, if you need a $10,000 mic to make your voice sound good, then you don't have a good voice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, auto tune, auto tune's its own side story that we don't need to get into. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I have a, uh, a Patreon account and um, allow people to ask questions. So one of the questions that I picked here to ask you today from that is um, if you could have asked, if you could have a conversation with Jonathan Larson today, what would be the one question that you'd ask him that you had wished you'd ask then? Okay. So, so I'm going under the assumption that Jonathan has not been alive all of this time. He's been dead. And all of a sudden he comes back and I can ask him a question. Yes. Correct? Okay. Yes. Um, what would be the one question I would ask him? Uh, what would you like to talk about? I guess I would like to talk to him about his influences, his musical influences, you know what I mean? And how, and what his opinions of, of like, of, of rock music are and, 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 and musical theater. And I mean, I know what some of his influences are, but you know, um, just how he came to, to be the type of writer that he became, you know, um, that's, that's very interesting to me uh, because he really has influenced an entire generation of musical theater composers. Absolutely. Every show I hear, I'm like, that sounds like Rent. That sounds just like Rent. Even Hamilton, I'm like, that sounds just like Rent. You know what I mean? Like, every, I can't help, like, I can, I, everything sounds like Rent to me. Um, you know, um, and so... You know, I, I, I'm fascinated by that. You know, I'm fascinated by this thing that he had that was so influential on so many people that came after him, you know, mm-hmm. um, how that came to be. Absolutely. Yeah, that, I would love to talk, I would love to show him the, the influence and the change that, that, he is, that he has ushered into the world. Yeah. I, I I lay in bed at night, and this is like completely the nerdy side of me, but like just the cell phones and the computers that we're talking over right now and the microphones that we're talking into, like to show anybody the genius of their time from a hundred years ago, even how far we've come now and just have them look at us like we're magicians. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, all, all technology that's, that's, a, a, that's, that's not understood looks like magic. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's, it's fascinating to me, but I, I, I agree with you. I would love, I, I would love for him to see what he hath wrought, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. So we'll wrap up here with the three standard closing questions that I ask everybody on the episodes. The first one very simply is what motivates you? Um, what motivates me is, uh, is providing a, a life for my family, my kids, you know, the, the well-being 
and, and success and happiness of my kids. That's what motivates me. And what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Exactly what we started out talking about, which is don't ever let your ego make decisions in your life, especially career decisions. Just don't ever, ever it's the worst thing you could possibly do. Yeah. You'll always that, regret it 100% of the time. Yeah. So now the final one, hardest one. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? <laughs> uh, God, that's a good question. I've, I, I'll, let me preface it by saying I've never had the desire to go back and see any show for a second time ever. Really? <laughs> really. Um, um, Not even like a rock concert. A, oh, a, okay. That's different. I thought you meant like a Broadway show. Well, interpret um, it as you will, but like a show, any show as that, as whatever that means to you. Um, I saw at Yankee Stadium before it was torn down. Uh, U2 on the Zoo TV tour in, I guess it was 1991 or two. And it was the most amazing experience I've ever had. I, I will preface it by saying I did take a hit of acid. However, <laughs> I would like to go back and see it not having been on, <laughs> having done that. Um, but it was the most um, amazing ex live experience I've ever seen. Either that or... Um, yeah, that. I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. Um, you can find me on Facebook. And you can find me on SoundCloud. All right. So we'll have a link to all your socials in the episode notes, as well as the uh, Broadway buskers. And of course, you can get more of me at theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter on Facebook at slash official theater podcast. Please leave a rating and a review. This is edited by Matthew Hendershot. And thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And Adam, thank you most of all. I really enjoyed this. This is <laughs> Thanks, Alan. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot -E 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 org because only together we rise.